I started talking last night about not limiting God. We use Psalm 78, 41, where it says that the children of Israel, God had a plan for them, but they limited what He could do in their life. And I spent all of last night basically countering this philosophy or this attitude, belief system that some people have that God just sovereignly controls everything and that God's will automatically comes to pass. That is the greatest faith killer that I have ever seen in my life. What is the point in seeking God or doing anything if God just sovereignly controls everything? That means everything that's happening is just God's will. And you know, every time I teach against this and counter that teaching, somebody will come up and say, you're of the devil. I can't believe that you're saying something like this. That is the devil and they just blast me and I turn around and use their own theology on them. And I say, wait a minute. I thought nothing could happen, but what is God's will? I couldn't teach on this if God didn't want me to be saying this. If God wasn't allowing me to do this. And you know what? It always just stops them. If people really believe that nothing happens but what is God's will, then why would you take medicine and try and get out of God's will? Why would you go get a loan? You ought to just let God's will come to pass in your life instead of getting around all of these kind of things. That's foolishness. That is one of the most illogical doctrines in the body of Christ, and I believe that there's reasons why people preach that, but one of them is uh, I'm sure that there's people that preach it because they don't know any better and this is what they were taught and they're just rehearsing it. But you know, one of the reasons that people preach that is because it allows you to dodge all responsibility. For ministers, it's really a convenient theology. You just pray for a person and if they die, well then, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Well, you don't know why God took them. It must have been God's will. And you know what? It, it saves you having to deal with problems and reality and failure. And so that's the reason that it is convenient. But I'm telling you that you can limit God. God has a plan for you, but it doesn't work until you start cooperating and seeking and allowing God's will to come to pass in your life. And we can miss God's will. Not everything that happens is God's will. Now, God can take anything that happens and work it together for good, Romans 8, 28, but God didn't cause it. God doesn't do it. And yet God can work something awesome out of anything negative that the devil throws at you. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, in, I'm trying to do this in a logical progression. And if you don't know what God's will for your life is, there is no way you're going to accidentally fulfill it. These verses right here in Ephesians chapter 5 says, let's start reading with... Um, Let's read verse 14. It says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. This isn't talking about physical death. This is talking about spiritual death or like being in a stupor. And there's a lot of people that they live their life this way. They're just going through life uh, wasting time. You know the word amusement? I don't know if any of you have ever studied that word, but do you know what the word amusement means? The word muse is a word for think. Like the Bible talks about that I muse on the things of God. That means that I'm thinking, meditating on the things of God. The word ah, when you put it in front of a word, means the absolute negative or opposite. So amusement means the absolute non-use of your brain. And this is what most people are into. They just want to be amused. They want to do something that when they come home from work, they don't want to do anything. They've been thinking all day and doing things. And they just want to sit down and vegetate and do something where you don't have to use your brain. You want to be amused. I tell you what, that is wasted time. Now, there's, there is such a thing as doing things with your family and and I'm not saying that you just sit there and never go out or watch a movie or do things, but I'm saying that the way that our society has become consumed with just being amused, where you sit there and let somebody else do your thinking, where you plop your kids in front of a TV and they never learn how to use their imagination and play and do anything on their own. They're just constantly being fed something. It's an ungodly principle. 
And this is what he's talking about. He says, Awake, uh, arise from the dead and Christ shall give you light. Come out of your stupor. Wake up. Start taking responsibility for yourself. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't know if there's anybody in here that would debate the fact that our days are evil, that we're living in an ungodly time and things seem to be going in the wrong direction instead of the right direction. And therefore, we need to redeem the time. And one of the ways you do it is in the next verse. It says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You could turn that verse around and say it this way, that if you don't know what the will of the Lord is, you're unwise. You could say it this way. If you don't know what God's will for your life is, it's foolish. And yet the average person today, even the average person in the body of Christ, does not have a clear direction on what God's will and purpose for their life is. The majority of the people that I deal with are approaching things, life this way. They're just doing whatever has happened. You know, it just, they happened to get a grant to do this, and so they decided to go study that. Or they were looking for a job, and the first person that hired them was this, and they've been there for 30 years. Or it's just, you know, circumstances, happenstance as to how they got where they are. And once they get born again, now they're saying, Oh God, please use what I do. And they're asking God to take what they're doing and blessing it. You know, I had a woman come up to me uh, today and she was asking me to pray over something and she said God spoke to her and God gave her a word and she wanted to, me to pray over it that it would have success. And I said, I don't need to pray if God spoke to you and if God gave you a word, well then anything God calls you to do is already blessed. And you know, she got really encouraged by that and she says, that's right, I don't need anybody else to pray. I just need to believe that I got a word from God and go do it. When you are doing what God has called you to do, there is an anointing on it. When the Lord told Peter, come, there was enough anointing in that one word, come, that he could walk on top of the water and defy everything. Man, when you get a word from God, when God speaks to you and when God shows you what to do, you don't have to pray and ask God to bless it. You don't have to spend any time worrying. You don't have to stay up at night wondering about God. Is, are things going to work out? Are you going to take care of this? If God's called you to do it, it's God's fault. It's God's responsibility. God's the one that's got to take care of it. You know, I was sharing with you last night how the Lord has blessed this ministry and we've grown and we've got to have like a hundred, uh, one and a half million dollars a month just to make our regular expenses. And I don't ever stay up at night. I sleep good. I don't worry about it because it's way beyond my ability and God called me to do it and it's up to God to supply my need. I don't have to do this. And yet most people are just hoping that what they're doing is the will of God. This says don't be unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And let me say it this way that God would be unjust to give us a commandment like this to know God's will if it wasn't something that we could find out. If this was beyond our reach, if you just have to live your life and hope that you found God's will, then this would be an unjust command on God's part to command us to know what His will is if you can't know it. I'm telling you, God has a plan for every person's life. He has a will for every single person in this room and God wants to reveal it to you and you are going to limit God if you don't know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God has called you to work the job that you're working, that God has called you to be in the church that you're in, that God has called you to do the things that you're doing, your life, your effort ought to be all put towards something that you have a calling from God. And some people think that only the clergy has a calling from God and the rest of the laity or you're just out there stumbling through life and hoping that God's blessing it. You know what? God has called me to do something that we call ministry, but every one of you is called by God and has a purpose, and you were anointed for a purpose. And again, this should be obvious to Christians, but the church today has been influenced by the world probably more than most generations of the church in recent years, and we have this humanistic attitude that's in the world that has spilled over into the church to where we just evolved from slime 
and that we have no accountability to God. It's a convenient theology again. People like to believe that because that means you can go out and live your life however you want to and you don't have to give an answer to anybody for what you've done with your life. But man, there are millions of scriptures that contradict that and show that that's not true. I'm telling you, God created every person in this room on purpose. The scripture says in Psalms chapter 139, let me just turn over and read a couple of these verses. Psalms 139. In verse 13 it says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which were in continuance, were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. That's old English terminology, but this just means that God possessed us when we were still in our mother's womb. He knew everything about us. He knew every part. He had a plan for you. You aren't a mistake. Whether your parents knew you were coming or not, God knew you were coming. God possessed your reins. It says that when Mary went to Elizabeth and greeted her, Elizabeth said that the babe leapt in her womb for joy and he was six months along in the pregnancy. This was the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And, and John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit but three months before he was born. For any of you that have a question, this shouldn't be a question to a Christian, but if you have a question about whether when life begins, I guarantee you God did not fill a fetus, a hunk of tissue with the Holy Spirit and this hunk of tissue didn't leap for joy. It was a person. There was, ex, there was an expression of joy. But three months before John the Baptist was born, he was a living, viable person. Abortion is killing a living person. You were possessed by God in your mother's womb. You are a person and you were created by God and designed with specific purposes. Did you know you didn't do anything to control who you are? You didn't do anything to control where you were born, whether you were a male or a female, what your gifts and talents are. See, a lot of Christians, when they get born again, it's like they think that God, they just came on God's radar when they got born again. And so here you are, a 20, 30, 40, 50 year old, and oh God, here I am, take all I am and everything I have and I want you to use it. And you start asking God to bless what you've been doing for the last 20 or 30 years. But I'm telling you that before you were born, God had a plan for your life. It says over in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it's showing that Jesus is superior to all of the angels. And it's contrasting Jesus with the angels and it says, aren't all of the angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation? That verse shows that angels minister on your behalf because God in His foreknowledge knew that you would accept Him someday. Even before you got born again, angels were ministering for you and helping, trying to direct you and to preserve you and to keep you so that you could someday accept the Lord. So angels minister for you before you get born again. God had a purpose for your life when you were still in your mother's womb. And you may have spent 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever, doing your own thing and thinking that you only found God when you were 40 years old. But God wasn't one that was lost. He found you, amen. And He had a plan for you and you were created, whether you're male or female, whether you were born in the United States or some other country, whether the color of your skin, all of your talents and all of your abilities, you may have developed them, but God is the one that gave them to you specifically because He had a purpose for your life. God has a plan 
for your life and it's not up to you to pick and choose and do whatever you want to do and then ask God to bless it. You need to go back and realize that He possessed you in your mother's womb. He knew every part about you. He knew exactly what you'd look like. He knew exactly the time that you were born in. There's no mistake. You know, people often get to reading things about being back in other times and they wish they could have lived back in the old west or they wish they could have lived in a different time or all of this. There's no mistakes. You were born for such a time as this. You are here at an exact time because God has a purpose for your life. And I shouldn't have to say these things, but I do have to say them because, again, the church has been so influenced by the world that many of us just have this attitude that, well, here I am, and, oh, God, use this and bless it, and you think it's up to you to pick and choose what you do with your life. Someday we're all going to stand before the Lord. And I'm not saying this in a condemning way because through Jesus, all of our condemnation has been placed on Him. God's not going to punish you or reject you, but it does say over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we're going to stand before the Lord and there's going to be a fire applied to each one of our lives. And this fire is going to try every work that we have. If it was wood, hay, and stubble, those things are going to be burnt. If it's gold, silver, and precious stones, those things will last. And it says... God is going to check our work of what sort it is. It didn't say what size it is. That's an important terminology. If you got those verses up there, Carol, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Every man's words, work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, not what size it is. You know, we always are comparing ourselves and saying, have I done as much as this person? Have as many people been touched? Has as many people been led to the Lord as this other person over here? And that's all the wrong comparison. God didn't call everybody to be on television or radio or be doing what I'm doing. But God has called every one of you. Some of you, it's your mailman. It's your neighbor. It's the children, the grandchildren. You have a realm of influence and God is going to... When you stand before him, he's going to say, I called you to do this. Well, God, I've been an auto worker. I've been working in construction my whole life. And he says, but I anointed you to do this. Oh, but that's not what I did my whole life. He's not going to judge you based on what you did. He's going to judge you based on what his plan for you was and whether or not you ever fulfilled it. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. I know some of you are thinking, man, this is a totally different attitude. This is the reason I'm teaching on this. Most people think that, well, God, I, you know, I've, I've been doing this my whole life. Now I'm born again, so here's my life. Take it and bless it, and you, you want God to use you. But you don't know for sure that what you're doing is what God called you to do. Let me say it this way. If you go to a job and you hate what you're doing, you just live for vacation and live for the weekend, you probably missed God's will for your life. You know, I had an employee, a young guy who was going to our Bible school. He was only about 18 or something. And he, I, walked, I was in the break room one day, and he came in, and he goes, T-G-I-F. And I said, what does that stand for? And he says, well, thank God it's Friday. And I said, what's so great about Friday? And he said, well, it's the last day of the work week. I get the weekend off. I don't have to come to work tomorrow. And I said, do you not like your job here? And he said, oh, no, I like my job here. And I said, you know what? I could fix it. I said, there's a hundred people that would like to take your job. He started backpedaling. Oh, no, I like working here. And I was just giving him a hard time. But I said, you know what? If you don't appreciate working here... I said, there's other people that would be glad to work here in your place. And he went to repenting. But you know what? I don't have that. I don't have that attitude. I wake up on Monday and I'm thrilled because, man, we're back to teaching and we're ministering to people in school. And I look forward to these meetings. You know, if what you're doing is a drag and you don't like it, you probably haven't found God's will for your life. Now, that's not 100% true because you could be in the center of God's will and just have the devil 
condemning you and you haven't realized and understood what an impact you're making. And so sometimes there needs to be an attitude adjustment. But I'd say in the vast majority of cases, people who are dissatisfied and stuff, it's because you haven't found God's will for your life. You know, I really believe this, that God, your whole makeup, your whole personality, your giftings, your callings, everything about you, again, was predetermined and you are suited for just doing one thing. You were made for one purpose. And if you aren't doing what God called you to do, then there isn't going to be a satisfaction and a contentment and a joy and a peace. There is something, I can't even explain it, about knowing that you're where God made you to be, that everything about your life is going the direction that God created it to do. There is a satisfaction and a peace and a joy that goes with that that you can't get any other way. Some of you are praying that you'll have joy and peace, and yet you're doing something that is contrary to what God called you to do, and you'll never reach total peace and satisfaction and contentment. Because part of it comes with just being in the center of God's will. You know, a few years back, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I always go and speak to this man's business, one of our partners. And he, he brings me in. He has about 30 employees, and he just tells the people, he says, the clock is running. Sit and listen to this man talk as long as he wants to. And I just preach to him. And, and um, anyway, I did this a few years back, and when I came out, there was a woman, an uh, oriental lady, that was answering the phones and I hadn't seen her in the previous years and she didn't come back when I was talking to the rest of the employees. So I just went out and I started visiting with her and talking to her and said, are you new here? And started uh, asking her some questions. And she says, who are you? And I said, well, I'm a minister and I'm a friend of the uh, owner of this business and I always come here and speak to the employees. And she says, a minister for who? What kind of minister? And I said, for Jesus. And she says, you're the one. And I said, what do you mean? And she says, I'm a Buddhist. And she said, last night I was praying and going through my ritual. And she said, I just got dissatisfied. And and she started praying and she says, I know that there's a God, but I can't believe that this Buddha is it. And she says, God, whoever you are, reveal yourself to me. And she said, instantly there was this ball of light in front of her just pulsating. And she knew in her heart that this was God manifesting herself. And she says, who are you? And she had this voice come and say, tomorrow I'll send you a man who will tell you who I am. And she said, you must be the man. And I said, I'm the man. (laughs) I said, I can tell you who that was. And I told her about Jesus and got her born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, when I got out in the car... You talk about joy and excitement. It's like, God, I know I'm in the right place at the right time. There's a satisfaction that goes with something like that that you don't ever get. You know, David teaches in our Bible college, and he's the manager of our ministry. He's been very successful in business, and he tells one of the things he tells the students is that never, ever, 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 ever accept a job based on pay and benefits. That's the wrong criteria for taking a job. And yet I could bet you that probably the majority of people in here, if you had two options, that's what you would go with is the one that's going to pay you the most or have the most benefits or the most advanced for, uh, uh, promotions and things like that. That's wrong. You were made with the purpose. It all comes down to what has God made you to do? What has God called you to do? And until you find that out, there is no way that you are going to accidentally, sovereignly stumble into the will of God and fulfill it and be fulfilled and be productive. If you are a person who is multi-talented and so blessed that you can do anything, I feel sorry for you. Because you know what? That's a distraction. That means you don't have to be as dependent upon God. You can go out and do multiple things and anything you do is going to be blessed. I've never been that way. I've never been exceptional at anything. I've been mediocre at everything my whole life. And you know what? When I found God and when God told me to do something, 
I didn't have a dozen things that I was holding on to that I had to pray and, oh, God, I hate to let this go. I was doing nothing. I was headed nowhere. <laughs> Amen. I had no goals. And so it was easy for me to just, oh, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'll go with it. Those of you who are so talented that you can do things without God, you're cursed. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to not have anything special and you're just God, whatever you want me to do. And I'll tell you this, God will always call you to do something that you can't do in your own natural ability. If what you're doing is something that you could do in just yourself, you hadn't found God's will for your life. God will cause you to do something that's bigger than you. God is a supernatural God and He will lead you in a way that will make you absolutely dependent upon Him. You know, some of you aren't going to believe this, but this is my testimony and I'm sticking with it. It's the truth that I was an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face. I couldn't talk to people. If you had put me in front of this many people, it would have killed me. And for the first two years that I tried to minister, it did nearly kill me. I mean, I, I just, it was tying me in knots. I was an introvert. I couldn't stand in front of people. And God has called me now to preach to millions and millions and millions of people. And people think that I'm exaggerating or somehow or another this couldn't have been. But I'm telling you, this is the way I was. God called me to do something that it was impossible for me to do. This is absolutely impossible. And some of you may disagree with this, but this is my testimony and I'm sticking with it, that there is an anointing of God on me to do what I'm doing. I remember a time that I was out jogging one time and I wasn't aware that when you went to like Mobile, Alabama, that the heat and humidity affect the way you jog. So I went jogging my normal eight miles and I wasn't able to do it as fast as I normally did, so I pushed myself And I had been on a three-day fast on top of all of that and all of these things combined and I got up to preach and I was so weak I couldn't stand up. I had to stand behind the pulpit like this and lean on it. And I couldn't see the front row. Everything was a blur. Physically, I had just done a lot of damage to myself and I I couldn't stand on my own. I couldn't see past the front row. Everything was spinning and I got up and ministered for nearly two hours. The word just poured out of me. I mean, I remember standing behind the the pulpit thinking, what's happening? (laughs) I'm in a daze. My thoughts were confused and the words just flowing out of me. I went and bought the tape so I could listen to the tape. (laughs) It was awesome. It was the best I'd ever preached on that. And you know what? I thought, God, there is an anointing. It's not me. There is an anointing. There is a gift. And every one of you have an anointing that will only function when you are doing what God calls you to do. And I don't care if you are multi-talented and if you are successful in your own physical, natural ability, you'll never reach your full potential until you do what God has called you to do. And brothers and sisters, we got a lot of people, square pegs, In round holes, you're wondering why you aren't fulfilled, why you aren't satisfied. You're wondering, is this all there is to life? And there is no satisfaction. There is no contentment. You aren't excited about getting up in the morning. You aren't excited about going to work. You can't wait for work to be over, for vacation to come. You wish you could retire early and do nothing because you hate what you're doing. You've missed God's will for your life. When you find God's will for your life, there is an excitement, there is a joy, there is a satisfaction and peace that goes along with that that you can't get any other way. And I'm telling you, until you find out, until you quit being unwise and understand what the will of the Lord is, you will not accidentally fulfill God's will. You have to pursue the things of God. They do not come automatically. God doesn't sovereignly work it out. You have to have a goal. It's my testimony that I can guarantee you there have been a billion obstacles placed in Jamie and my way and we have had to persevere and overcome those things and command them to get out of the way and fight through. Nothing has come easy. You don't just stumble into God's will. 
It doesn't just automatically happen. You have to have a goal and then you have to fight and go towards it because we've got an enemy that's fighting against this. You're going to be swimming upstream when you find God's will. It'll never just float downstream with the crowd and get into it. If you never run into the devil, it's because both of you are headed in the same direction. (laughs) If you start doing what God called you to do, I can guarantee you there's going to be resistance. You're going to have some opposition. And yet there will be a supernatural satisfaction and peace and assurance that goes along with it. And brothers and sisters, I know that there are some of you here that don't have that. And I'm just saying that if we want to start taking the limits off of God, you're going to have to find what God created you for. And you may be in the perfect will of God, but you need to know that you're in the perfect will of God. You can't just take it for granted. You just can't hope that it's going to be that way. You have to know. You have to have an encounter. God wants to reveal Himself to you. Again, God would be unjust to command you not to be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and then Him hide from you and not answer your prayers and not reveal it to you. God wants to show you His will for your life more than you want to know it. But you've got to pursue it. As long as you can live without knowing that you are in the center of God's will, you will. But when you get to a place where, God, I'm not going to live my life any longer. I'm not going to go any further. Like Moses, he was talking to the Lord, and the Lord said, I will go with you and I will prosper you. And Moses said, if you don't go with us, I'm not moving. Exodus chapter 32. This needs to be your attitude. God, I'm not going to go anywhere else. I'm not taking another job. I'm not going another year. This ought to be one of your New Year's resolutions. God, I'm going to know this year what your will for my life is. And even if it's to do exactly what I'm doing, I'm going to do it with a renewed vigor and renewed faith that this is God's will and I'm going to get up and go to work because it's what you called me to do and it's not what I'm just having to do to put food on the table. You should never work to live. Man, you ought to work because it's an opportunity for you to take the calling, the giftings that God has put in your life and it's an opportunity to use it. And if you steward it correctly, God will take care of you and you will benefit from your work. But you ought to look at your work as this is where God has planted me. It's my opportunity to make an impact, to touch people's lives, to be there for that person who's a Buddhist and saying, God, show me who you are. And man, you're right there because God planted you there knowing from the beginning what the needs were going to be and that he needed somebody to be there to represent him in that workplace, in that family. Look over in Galatians chapter 1. It's something the Apostle Paul said. He was talking about he didn't learn the gospel for just from people. He got it directly from God and he was saying that what I'm saying is not just man's doctrine. I'm anointed by God to say this. He says the gospel was committed to my trust. And he said this in Galatians chapter 1 in verse 14. And he prophesied profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And he goes on and talks about that. But he said that he was separated under the gospel from his mother's womb. Again, this is making the point that I'm making, that God has a purpose from you, for you when He created you. You don't just do your own thing and then get saved and take your natural abilities and wherever you find yourself to be and offer it to God. No, God created you for a purpose. And Paul had some kind of a stirring on the inside of him that he was separated unto God, but he did it all his own way. He became a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He became a legalist. He became a person that was actually persecuting and killing Christians, thinking that he was doing God's service. He was trying to serve God, but he was certainly not doing it the way that God had created him to do. But God revealed himself to Paul, and immediately his life changed, and he began to be successful. And here we are 2,000 years later, benefiting from what God did through the Apostle Paul's life. If Paul would have missed his calling, it would have affected every person in here. Every one of you, we have a ripple effect. If you don't find out what God's purpose for your life is and fulfill it, 
It's not only going to affect you, but it's going to affect your family. It's going to affect the people that could have been touched by what you had to offer. There are some of you that have creative ideas, inventions that could affect humanity. If the Lord tarries for 100 years or 200 years and there's things that God has called you to do and you aren't doing it, you need to find out what God has called you to do. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. I can promise you that. You will be more satisfied and more of a blessing if you'll find out what God has called you to do than if you just do your own thing and ask God to bless it. God's got a purpose. And that there's going to be a vacuum. There's going to be a hole if you don't fulfill the purpose that God made you for. This is not an isolated instance. The same thing was true with Moses. Moses was separated unto God from his mother's womb. He was raised. God had a purpose for him. Isaiah said the exact same thing about him. I forget the exact reference for that, but Isaiah talked about being separated unto God from his mother's womb. Look at these verses over in Jeremiah. These are verses that God used not only to speak to Jeremiah, but he used these for me. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, This is Jeremiah writing, verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Here again is the same thing. And remember, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, God is no respecter of persons. Maybe that's Romans 2, 11. It's right there somewhere. God is no respecter of persons. This isn't something that he only did for Moses and for Isaiah and for Paul and for Jeremiah, but it doesn't apply to Joe Blow Christian. Every one of us were separated and created and designed for a specific purpose. And you aren't going to reach your full potential and receive the satisfaction and be the blessing that God intended you to be until you quit being unwise and know what God's will for your life is. He said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nation. God's calling on Jeremiah's life was established before he was born. Every one of you, before you were born, God had a purpose a plan for your life. It doesn't automatically come to pass. He's not going to force it on you, but it's there. And if you would pursue Him and seek Him, God will reveal Himself to you and show you and guide you into that plan. It isn't really hard. You know, let me just take as an example here, Jamie and me getting married. When I, when I was raised in the Baptist church, I was told that salvation is the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life, which I agree with. And they said the second most important decision you'll ever make is who you get married to. It'll make or break you. And so you know what? I dated one or two girls when I was in high school, and then I said, this is for the birds. I said, this is weird. I don't like it. And I went to seek in the Lord, and the Lord gave me a couple of scriptures. Whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord out of Psalms chapter 34. And then it says, no good thing will the Lord withhold from them who love him. I put those two scriptures together and I said, God, a wife is a good thing. And it says, no good thing will you withhold. And then I put that together with God brought Eve to Adam and Ruth to Boaz and Rachel to, uh, or Rebecca to Isaac and I saw how the Lord put people together and I said that's it I said from now on I'm not seeking a girl I'm seeking you and if you have a mate for me you will put her in my path and I said and the Lord spoke to me this way and he says if you would just put me first and seek first the kingdom of God I'll add everything else to you and if it's my will for you to be married I'm going to put that person in your path and you would have to literally backslide on me to keep from getting married. <laughs> and you know what? That's what I did. And for years, I didn't date while all of my friends were dating and stuff. I didn't do anything. I was seeking God and not being distracted. And I mean, I could spend an hour telling you, but God supernaturally put Jamie and me together. I mean, God put us together. We were engaged to be married before we ever held hands. And praise God, she's the best thing ever happened. 
to me. You know, we've been through a lot of things, and I don't think there's another woman on the face of the earth that would have stuck with me through the things I put Jamie through. Well, she's a godsend. God supernaturally put us together. We were ordained to be together. And you know how that happened? Because I just saw it's not that hard. God wants to do this. God's interested in everything. And in the same way as I saw that come to pass and God supernaturally put us together, you know what? God will supernaturally show you His will. He created you for a purpose. It's to His advantage to get you into the right spot and use you properly. This isn't something that's hard. It's just hard when we are over overwhelmed uh, with all of the things of this world and watching as the stomach turns on television and watching hatred and lying and stealing and murder for entertainment, amusement, and you get lulled into a stupor. Well, yeah, it's hard to hear God's voice then. But you know what? If you go to seeking with all of your heart, you will find. God will show you what His purpose for your life is. He wants you to know I promise you, brothers and sisters, I'm saying this in the name of the Lord. God wants to reveal Himself to you, but it takes some seeking on our part. We have to pursue the things of God. So before Jeremiah was even formed in the belly, before he came forth out of his mother's womb, God had already called him, sanctified him, ordained him unto a purpose. And then he says in verse 6, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I am a child. Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. You know, let me just share this story with you, and I'll quit sometime. <laughs> but like I told you, I was an introvert. I couldn't speak, and yet I tried for two years to minister, and every time I got up to minister, it was pitiful. It was embarrassing to me and to God and to everybody who was there. The very first sermons I ever held, I, I volunteered for a three-day revival. And I memorized three sermons from a book. And I got so nervous, I preached all three of them in five minutes. <laughs> I went through my whole repertoire. And if you thought the first night was bad, the second and third was even worse because I didn't have time to memorize. And it was just pitiful. And yet... I'd be so embarrassed. I'd say, God, I'll never do that again. I'd swear with an oath that I'd never stand up and minister in front of people again. And yet, it'd be like Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I couldn't forbear. I'd get up and try it again and I'd make a fool of myself. And for two years, it was pitiful. It was just pitiful. Every time I got up, I would freeze in fear. And... Um, it was right after Jamie and I got married and in about January or something of, two, of 1973. We got married October 27th of 72. And so it was somewhere around January of 73. Uh, they were having a layman's Sunday at our Baptist church. And they asked if I would preach the Sunday morning service. 400 people in the church. And I said yes. I have no idea why I said yes. But as soon as I said yes, I began to be terrified. And I mean, I was, man, I was praying and seeking the Lord and begging and crying and pleading for God to speak to me and give me something to say because I knew that a train wreck, I was, I was headed for one. And anyway, during that period of time, this is right after Jamie and I got married, we were in a little one-bedroom apartment in Dallas, Texas, and I, you know, back then I could go lay down and I'd be asleep before my head hit the pillow. I could sleep through anything. And uh, I'd just lay down and I was asleep. Well, I went to bed and I couldn't sleep. I was just wide awake. And that was unusual. So I was just wondering what's going on. And I mean, the presence of the Lord became really strong. And so Jamie was already asleep. And I got up and left our bedroom, went into this one little uh, living room that we had. And I mean, the presence of God became so real that I just fell on my face and I laid there for a long time, afraid to open my eyes because I knew that God was there. And I got to praying, God, what's happening? What's going on? And a number of things happened. I'll give you the short version of it. But the Lord, I had been studying about 
Solomon and how the Lord appeared unto him in a dream and said, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? And anyway, the Lord brought that back to my remembrance and I just knew in my heart that God was there saying, I'll give you whatever you want. He offered me the same deal that he offered Solomon. And I said, God, I want the ability to speak your word, to get up in front of people and not be afraid to speak in front of people. And as soon as I did that, the Lord led me to these verses. And I opened up my Bible and, you know, some of you read this and you think, well, that's nice. This happened to Jeremiah 4,000 years ago. But this was God speaking to me. And I know some of you have a hard time believing that, but I don't. God spoke to me through these verses. And he said, before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you. Before I brought you forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. And I had the exact same response that Jeremiah had. But God, I can't speak. I'm a child. And look at this. He says, the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child. And I mean, God yelled this at me. It was like, don't you ever, ever, ever again emphasize and amplify your fears and stuff like this. Don't you ever say I'm a child again. And man, I felt it a few times, but I've never said it, praise God. (laughs) He said, say not, I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, that shalt thou speak. Be not afraid of their faces. You know, I literally took this scripture, and right after this, you know how I got up and ministered? I quit looking at people's face. I started looking about a foot above the last person's head back there. And that's the way that I preached for years. Now, I've gotten over that now. But for a long time, it looked like I was looking at you, but I wasn't. Amen. (laughs) I wasn't looking at their faces. That's the way I, I used to minister. And he said, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have, set, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And the Lord spoke these words to me. And then he put with that Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14. Let me just read that. And it says, Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire and the people wood, and it shall devour them. God spoke these things to me. I know I'm doing what God called me to do. I was sanctified unto this from the time before I was born. This is what I was created for. You know, when I was eight years old, we had an evangelist come to our Baptist church. And this evangelist, this is in the Baptist church, mind you. This evangelist came to my father and mother and for a whole week, just he took me out to eat every day and said, this boy's called to preach. This boy's got an anointing on his life. And you know what? He tried to get me to come down front and make a commitment, what in the Baptist church we called surrender to preach. He tried to get me to surrender to preach that week and I wouldn't do it. Eight years old because all I could think of was a Baptist preacher and I knew I wasn't called to be that. (laughs) I knew I wasn't called to do that and I couldn't see it and so I refused to do it. But I've thought back on that and you know what? There was a gift and a calling and an anointing on my life. I've been separated unto God from my mother's womb. I've never got into the stuff that other kids got into. I was raised in the same family as my brother and sister. And they both love God and they're serving God, but they went a different direction. They took a different route. Been in jail, had things happen to them. But you know what? I was just separated. And I believe that God has a purpose like that for every person's life, but some of us hear it and respond to it and others don't. I was with a friend of mine one time, a preacher, who was raised in the family of an alcoholic. And his parents were both alcoholics and they would get money and they'd drink until they were just out of it and and laid out for two and three days. And this guy would wear clothes until they wore out and then he would stay at home and he'd run around in his underwear because he didn't have any clothes, any shoes, and he was malnourished. And uh, anyway, he got onto drugs and wound up in a hospital about 18 or 19 years old, was out of it mentally. His mind was gone. He was in an insane asylum trying to glue little pieces of mosaic stuff together to give him something to do. And he got born again in that situation. 
and he's started serving the Lord. He's on television. Many of you probably seen him and stuff. But anyway, this guy, we were sitting down and visiting and talking about things, and he was telling about how bad his life was and how terrible everything was, and he told me his story. And then he says, so how did you find the Lord? And you know what? I was embarrassed. I didn't want to tell him because it seemed like, man, it wasn't fair. I had things so easy. I just have known the Lord. I got born again the very first time God nailed me over a sin. Not the first time I'd sinned, but the first time, I mean, I knew that I had not just sinned against my mom and dad. I'd sinned against God. I repented in sackcloth and ashes, and I got born again, and I have served God. I've never said a word of profanity in all my 59 years, never taken a drink of liquor, never smoked a cigarette. I've always been seeking after God. And I felt embarrassed to tell him. And finally, he drug it out of me. And I told him how, you know, when I was like four or five years old, I used to lay in the backyard at night and look up at the stars and just be praying, God, what is life all about? What's the purpose? And, and, it, and I did it so often that my mother thought something was wrong with me. She would come and say, what are you doing out here? And so I used to go hide in this little corner where nobody could see me. And I just, I've always been seeking after God my whole life. And you know what? I started giving that testimony and sharing this. And this pastor, he says, don't you be ashamed of that. He says, you know what? When I was four and five years old, I did the exact same thing. He says, God stirred me. He said, I had the same stirrings in my heart, but I walked away from them. I didn't have the encouragement that you did. But he says, God had a plan for my life. He says, I can look back and tell it now. And you know what? I begin to start talking to people, and I've come to a place, I'm convinced this is true of every person in this room. You may have denied it. You may have drowned out the voice of God with something else. But since you were a little boy or a little girl, God has tried to reach you. God has been trying to direct your paths. Some of you have dreams in your heart that it just wasn't practical in your way of thinking to indulge them and to pursue them, and so you had to do all of these other things. But there's things in your heart that God placed there that if you would begin to start seeking Him, God would reveal this to you. I often tell people this. I say, just forget right now. You've got to have money to live. Forget the fact that you've got your roots put down here and you've got your children here and you've got this and you've got that and you've got all of your friends and you've got all of these things. Just remove every obstacle. If money was no option, if nobody else's opinion mattered, if you weren't intimidated and fearful thinking you can't do this and this and this, if you were just to, in your imagination, remove every obstacle and say, if if there was no restrictions on me and if I just could do anything I wanted, what would you do? Nine out of ten times, that's God speaking to you what His will for your life is. But we let circumstances and people speak to us and steer us and point our direction in another, our life in another direction and we miss what God gets. But the Bible says in Psalms chapter 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that God will just give you whatever you lust for. If you want a new wife, a new husband, God will give it to you. That's not what that's talking about. That's saying that when you are putting God first and delighting yourself in the Lord, when you're seeking God with your whole heart, God changes your desires. He puts His desires in your heart. He gives you the desires of your heart. If you are truly seeking God, now that's a big if, but that's a major statement. If you are truly seeking God, if you have made a commitment to where, God, I want your will more than I want my will, if your heart is right with God, then do what you want to do. Do what's in your heart. What gives you a buzz? What excites you? That's what you ought to be doing. That's God speaking to you. Now, that's subjective. Some of you in here may be thinking, oh, well, man, here's what I want to do. I want to go gamble all the time. I want to become one of these professional poker guys that wins on the tour. Well, I would doubt that your heart is right with God. That's not a godly concept. 
Some of you want to become a rock star and get all this fame because you're just selfish and living for yourself and thinking about all the ways you can indulge yourself. That's not true. But I'm saying if your heart is right with God, you know what? God will put His desires in your heart. And there's some of you that from the time you were a little boy or a little girl, God was speaking things to you and you just never indulged it. You were always told that that's not practical. You can't do this. I remember one of our youth directors in our church was asking one time, we were sitting out in the car talking in front of my house, and he says, so what do you want to do with your life? And I forgot exactly what I told him. I didn't have specifics, but I was basically saying, I want my life to count. I want my life to amount to something. I want to, I want to make an impact that is going to change somebody else's life. And I was saying all of these great things, and I remember this youth director saying, you're an idealist says you'll become a practic- you'll become a realist as you grow older. says you can't do what you want to do. And I remember telling him, I was about 12 years old. It was, this was right after my dad died and he was trying to spend some time with me and help me. And I remember telling him, I said, if that's what being an adult is, I'll never be an adult. <laughs> I said, I'm never going to deviate from what the dreams are in my heart. I said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And there's a lot of people that just like that come into your life trying to talk you out of your dreams and visions. You need to make sure that your dreams and visions are God-ordained and that they aren't self-serving and self-promoting. But God will put a dream in your heart. You are made for a purpose. And the only way you're ever going to take the limits off of God and begin to see God's best in your life is to come to a place to where you know that you are doing what God created you to do. And if you don't know that beyond any shadow of a doubt, I don't care how successful you are, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, it doesn't matter whether you win the awards and get the acclaim and people pat you on the back, you can look at the movie stars, you can look at the athletes, you can look at all of the people that have the fame and the money and the admiration of other people and their lives are a mess. They aren't happy. They aren't fulfilled. That's not success. You can't measure success in money. You can't measure success in trophies and awards and things like that and fame. You could be infamous. That's not fame. It all comes down to what has God called you to do? What is God's purpose for your life? And if you don't know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're doing what God called you to do, there's no way you can fulfill God's will accidentally. You need to quit being unwise and understanding what the will of the Lord is. God's got a plan. And it's a perfect plan. It's better than your plan. Plan, I can promise you that. God's purpose for your life is better than your purpose. And when you get into that spot, there is a supernatural anointing. You know, on the way to where Jamie and I are right now, we just began to start ministering any way we could. We started in Bible studies. And you know what? It was exciting. We saw people's lives being changed, people being healed. It was exciting. But that wasn't exactly what God called me to do. And then one of my Bible studies turned into a church. I didn't want it to be a church. I didn't feel called to be a church, but all of the people who were coming to the Bible study got kicked out of their church <laughs> for believing the things that I was teaching. And so they started paying tithes to me. And I said, don't pay your tithes to me. I'm not a pastor. And so after a while, they said, you can call this a Bible study. You can call it anything you want, but we don't go anywhere else. And we're paying our tithes here. And they started calling me pastor. So I became a pastor by default for six years. And I pastored three separate churches. And you know what? It was exciting. And we saw great things happen. And we saw miracles happen. But that wasn't really what God called me to. He called me to the ministry and... And sad to say for their sakes, that was my Bible school. That's how I learned. On the job training. At their expense. (laughs) But when I went on radio and then I went and held my first meeting like this. We rented a motel room and I held my first meeting. I can't explain it. I'd been ministering for that by that time for nearly 15 years or I forget when it, what it was, but I'd been ministering a long time. But when I held my first meeting, rented an auditorium like this and held a meeting, I told Jamie, I said, this is it. 
It was just, I was anointed to do this. There was a freedom. There was a liberty. There was an ease to this that I didn't have pastoring a church. And then after being in ministry for 34 years, being on radio for like 15 years, it's a long story. The Lord spoke to me in 1999. He says, you're just now beginning your ministry. I've been in ministry for 34 years. Or 32 years, I guess it was. And he says, you're just now starting. All of that was preparation. It took that long to get me to a place to where God could use me. And you know what? Since then, and since I started on television, television, it's just, there is an anointing, there is a blessing on television that I didn't have on radio. And we're seeing things happen. And I tell you, it's just, it's amazing. Jamie and I were talking about this last night. It just seems like that there are so many miracles happening in our life. Things are just working. I can't give you an explanation for it. There's no explanation outside of God. I'm just doing what God called me to do. I'm anointed for such a time as this. God has raised me up, and I'm doing what God called me to do. And so I'm saying all of that to say that there's steps and stages. You don't jump from where you are into the perfect will of God in one step. There's steps, but you ought to at least be moving in that direction. You can't go from zero to a thousand miles an hour all at once. That's not acceleration, that's a wreck. Somebody's going to die in that thing. You've got to accelerate. It's got to start building. But your life ought to be moving in the direction. You ought to have some leading from God and you ought to get up and say, I know I'm moving in the direction that God wants my life to go. You may not have arrived, but you ought to at least leave. And brothers and sisters, I know this is very similar to an invitation I gave last night. But I know that there are hundreds of people sitting in this room who you cannot say for sure that you know what God's will for your life is. Now, you may not have the total picture, but at least you know that you're moving in the right direction. That ought to be the position of every born-again believer in here. But there are probably, I would dare to say, probably the majority of people sitting in this room don't know that for sure. You're hoping it's true. You wished it was true. But you don't have any assurance that you're doing exactly what God called you to do. You aren't going to go very far until you get that resolved. You need to find out what God's will for your life is. Amen? Amen. And again, I know that this is unsettling to a degree because some of you are thinking about, man, I'm comfortable. I nearly got my house paid for. I'm only two, three years away from retirement. Everything seems to be going good. And here I am possibly thinking of change. I ought to at least wait until I start collecting this retirement or my benefits or whatever. You know what? You'd be better off to find God's will. I don't care what it's going to cost you. I don't care if it means you going to the other side of the world and living in a grass hut. You'll be happier there than you've been anywhere else. We got Bible college students, a young single girl, Carrie Nordquist, that went to Russia a very attractive young girl, gave up everything in the States to go to minister to these people a hundred miles north of the Arctic Circle. Went over there. How are you ever going to succeed? She was 21 when she went over there. She found her American husband there in Russia. She would have missed him if she'd have stayed here in the States. And they are just the greatest couple. We were just with them and they are doing an awesome job and she knows that she's where she's supposed to be. She's helping people. I I was just so impressed with the Bible school. People's lives are being changed. Her life is making a difference. Her life is counting. She knows that she's in the center of God's will. Leland Shores, I'm going to have him on my television program starting on uh, Monday. And Leland Shores was the curator of art at the Dallas Art Museum making lots of money. Very influential, very successful, and God told him to sell everything and go to school. And he had so spiritual, spiritually he was so destitute that what he was going to do was go to a Catholic monastery. He didn't have that great of a relationship with God. He just knew. He was born again. 
But he just knew that God was calling him to separate himself totally unto God. And so he was going to go to a Catholic monastery. But his mother was a partner of ours. And she says, I think you ought to go check out Karis Bible College. So he came to Karis Bible College and he saw what we were doing. And he saw that it was successful. And he'd been in the business world and he said, man, why should I reinvent the wheel? This is working. So he just decided, he went through school, worked for us for a year. Now he's in Uganda. He found his wife in Uganda. We met with the first, the president and the first lady and Leland was telling her, says, this is where God has called me to be. I'll die. I'll live and die in Uganda. This is my life. And he is so happy and so content. He's suffering hardships that most Americans would dislike. Here's a guy who was real wealthy and had a lot of things going for him and he's loving being out there in the bush and and putting up with all of the hardships that he's put up with because that's where God called him to be. I'm telling you, there are many of you that are striving for happiness and joy and peace and you're never going to find it until you do what God called you to do. You were created by God. You did not evolve. You were designed for a purpose. And you've got to find that purpose. You can't fulfill God's will accidentally. So you've got to do it. Amen? Amen? Now again, you may be en route. You may not have the exact goal figured out. But you know that God is moving you. You've got a purpose. You've got dreams you're headed towards. You haven't arrived, but you've left. I'm not asking you to respond. I'm asking those of you who honestly do not know with certainty that you're doing what God called you to do, and you need to know that. And if you're willing to humble yourself, I'd like to ask you just to stand right where you are, and we're going to pray a prayer and dedicate ourselves to finding out what God's will for your life is. If that's you, and if you don't know for certain that you're doing what God called you to do, I want you to stand right now, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And we're going to pray, and I believe that God is going to start moving in your life.